0: This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. The
1: galaxy is The you. so sincere.
2: All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me This. I am here with Danielle Scarano, my lovely co-host for the season. Hello, Danielle.
3: Hello. It's great to see you. again. Yeah, it's,
2: it's good. It's good. Good to be back together for sure. So, yes. um, And I can't believe we have finished, um, I was going to say 10, but it's not technically nine episodes on our way to our 10th and have, you know, the summer was so crazy trying to schedule all these wonderful interviews and the nervousness around talking to different people. And I can't believe it's, it's complete already,
3: Danielle. So, yeah, Yeah, I feel the same way. I reflect on the summer I think about where where when was that? Was that this year
2: or 3 years ago? When was that? I know, right? So so we thought Danielle and I thought just as we introduced the podcast, we thought we would conclude this portion of the season. Um we're going to talk just a few minutes at the end of this episode about what's coming in the spring, but we really wanted to sort of have a, you know, two bookends. We did an intro and then we're going to do this this episode to really bring this series to a wrap. And so what better way to do that than to have an episode of reflections. And as I said to Danielle, when I was prepping for this episode, I legitimately could have made a whole, like maybe at least a half a season (laughs) out of all the reflections I was having. So I'm going to do my best to bottom line, Danielle. I'm not always great at that. Um, well us together, we're not always great at that. So, um, I don't know. Where do you want to start? I'm going to toss it to you.
3: <clears throat> wow. Thanks for putting <laughs> that on me because I have journal pages as well. <laughs> I, Oh, okay. Well, I'll say this. I think at the start of the season in the summer, we did have a lot of momentum and activity mm-hmm. and growth. And I'll be honest with you. When I looked at this in August, I thought this was the peak, the pinnacle of a spiritual awakening. <laughs> I'm like, when is this going to pinnacle going to end? Are we just, we're just standing at the top, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, I've learned a lot from this podcast, I think over the next, over the last fall. Yeah. And I think maybe we should start on where it began. And I think that was, let's start with paradoxical leadership as we read it in Smith et al. 2014. Mm,
2: Good place to start. Yeah. 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 Um,
3: Absolutely. And I think the reason why I wanted to start with that is when we initially spoke about paradox in the first episode, we were wrestling a lot with definition and language. And as we went through the last eight episodes with these interviews, we moved from definitions and language to opera opera. Operationalizing. Thank you. you I you know why? Because I've been switching that word to human humanizing. Oh, that's right. Humanizing. I can't even say it anymore. So I'll say in the humanizing of paradox. Yes. And when I returned back to the Smith et al. article 2014, they talked about acceptance, differentiation, and integration. Hmm. And I think when we interviewed each and every leader, that's where we saw the nuances of all those three terms. So, um, I'm curious for you, how those, that was something that kept popping up in my topics. And I was wondering if that was something that you returned to after reflecting about each of these, um, interviews and each of our guests.
2: Yeah. It's so interesting. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that article up because I, um, and this is why I love podcasting with you is I started from a different place Hmm. But I think I arrived at the same conclusion right around um, the thing for me was that how much both our understanding of or conceptualization of that word paradox shifted and Mm -hmm. either either grew or changed. I'm not sure what the the appropriate verb is. Um, And then also just the notion of leadership, right, that leadership Mm -hmm. and where I started because I'm kind of geeky and linear sometimes in my thinking, um, not always, but I started with two places. One, Danielle, I know I had texted you about, um, I don't, it was a September podcast that Brene Brown did with, um, Esther Perel is her name. Yeah. She's obsessed with
3: Esther Perel. Let's just put it out there. She's amazing.
2: So she's a psychotherapist and I'm not going to go into the the details of the podcast, but if you have not checked it out and if you have any interest or curiosity around Paradox, you should give it a listen. Mm -hmm. And what I started thinking about was what she also pointed out and what Dr. Shaw, our first interview, talked about was this notion of ambiguity Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: what we do with ambiguity and uncertainty and what happens when that ambiguity or uncertainty like a pandemic is all of a sudden upon us. And she talked about, I just love this, Danielle. I'm actually getting chills, getting ready to say it. And I'm not going to, I am not going to say it as eloquently as, um, as she did on the podcast, but she talked about how essentially what happens in these polarities and these paradoxes is if you're in a partnership, whether it's a friendship or a relationship, you each takes a, a part of a side. Right, and so then you're making these assumptions about well, someone's right, someone's wrong, someone's feeling bad, someone's feeling good. So, even the way we as humans approach this, we like split it, split it, right? And Dr. Mm-hmm. Shaw, who is in our who's in the mind, brain teaching um, and neuroscience area of um, education, talked a lot about how we as humans create binaries and polarities because we want to oversimplify things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, for me. The starting point was sort of a reinforcement and a reminder and a growth that it's just never that simple. That it's whether it's whether you think in layers, whether you whether you think in multiple narratives, whatever whatever your metaphor is. I just felt like every time we talked to someone, Danielle, it was like, "Yep, there's there's those layers in that context. There's those layers in the theater or on the skating rink or." in the classroom, or at a university. So that was a lot for your, your question, but that's what was bubbling up for me while I was preparing for this.
3: I love how you started with that too. And I think that brings it back to the aspect of acceptance from the article. Mm. And I started with that too. And I think um, Dr. Laura Shaw's, uh, her discussion on how we we think very in a binary way, mm-hmm. reinforces then back to, or at least connects back to then when we were speaking to Ico Bethia, where she challenged us in our definition yes. of paradox, when she said, if you're going to name it as a, a place of te- of tension or having these competing constructs, then you're already starting from a place of um, deficit. And so she challenged us in, to think more about it as multiple narratives. And what I liked about that was when you come at it with multiple narratives, whether it's a partnership or a one-on-one relationship to people or across a community, you accept those constructs or those narratives as both true. Mm-hmm. And then, so then that erases the competition and the tension.
1: Mm-hmm. But
3: where we see, where I was coming about this, where we see the tension is, is not no so much tension or competition, but discomfort, and mm. that's the next step is, okay, well- you can accept both multiple narratives as true, but the discomfort then is moving from acceptance to differentiation and integration. Yeah. And then that brought me to, okay, paradox is universal and we can accept all, everyone, every one of us could think of both and, right? Sure. It's then what makes it then back to the Carl Jung that it's a, the great spiritual, he mm-hmm. calls it a spiritual strength or something like that. Brene yeah. Brown talks about it in her books. Yep. Um is moving then from those, those steps. And you think linear, I always think cyclically I'm like, Mm -hmm. and linearly at the same time, but I think that's where we can get into the, the, the nuance and the layers of it is then Mm -hmm. how do you take something that's so universal and break it down and also understand the complexity of it. And that's where we get into the real um, humanization of paradox. Um, So I did start with, the acceptance and language around paradox. I don't know if I'm there yet in terms of my frameworks um, and how I'm solidifying paradox, but I do think that there has been a mass transformation and evolve. I've I've certainly evolved over the last three months about how I think about paradox and where I stand on it and then Mm -hmm. how we bring it into our communities. Um, A big question that you always thought about, and I don't know if you want to jump to this, but I'm curious, is Mm -hmm. in every episode we talked about then how do you bring this to practice?
1: Mm.
3: And I came up with both skills and actions, behaviors that each of our guests brought forth in bringing paradox to practice, Mm -hmm. especially since if we've, if we've understood and we've acknowledged that paradox is universal and it's not necessarily something that we practice every day.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: What did you notice about the way that our guests Brought those to brought paradox and related leadership skills and traits and even in their personal lives to practice.
2: Yeah, that's such a good question. So I definitely want to dig into that. When you were speaking about um, the discomfort, right? And you said the that everyone can acknowledge paradox and the whole idea of yes and. I think I would. I don't disagree with you that everyone can acknowledge and see paradox. What I wonder is, I'm not sure that everybody's to the yes and. And I think that has a lot to do with with what you mentioned around comfort and discomfort. And Dr. Mitchell, Lisa Mitchell from um, Disney and Broadway reminded us, we always asked our guests, if you remember during the interviews, is there anything else you want to add at the end of, of your conversation? And she said that she just has noticed in sort of her, I think she called it boot camp of leadership training, that being able to get comfortable with discomfort has been So sort of like the most powerful and that's sort of the thing that she wants to impart to other people. And so I think our tolerance for discomfort Mm -hmm. sort of determines how close we can get to or land on that. Yes. And and so when I'm thinking about that and what you said, and as I think about practice, I was thinking, what are the implications of discomfort and being comfortable with discomfort? Like what happens and what I remember? Maybe this is related to practice. What I remember specifically were around our conversations with like um, Dr. Hostetter, um, who I feel like is a model of what a leader in a large organization, particularly in an organization that is scattered across the country, can be and should be. Like she, to me, like evokes the possibilities in leadership. And the reason I think of that that is true is because The way in which she manages her discomfort, in my opinion, I don't want to impose my views on her, is that she walks in her truth Mm -hmm. and she is willing to show up even as the president of a university. She shows up in her meetings as a learner. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's like there's this thing called paradox. There's all this discomfort and uncertainty and our sort of habits and tendencies to simplify things that are at play then there's these implications. So like, how do we need to shift mindsets? Well, for, for Dr. Hostetter, she talked a lot about being deliberate, right? Cause it's all about deliberate practice, being deliberate, being intentional, showing up vulnerable and being a learner. And I would say my recollection, Danielle, is that every single one of our guests talked about being a learner in some shape or size. And so I say that just to remind us that like, Yes, it is behavioral, and I'm not gonna I cannot sit here and debate like, is it behavior first? Is it mindset first, right? I feel like it's bi-directional. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's a mindset piece, which is around learning, being learning, I you know, having that learning identity, and then also the practice. And so I just <clears throat> I have so many fond memories of talking to Mamie about her different examples of showing up in meetings, like big meetings like board, you know, board of trustees kinds of meetings. and still, Being willing to show up. Do you remember in that conversation when she talked about they were prepping her team? She and her team were prepping for a big meeting. And she said they just showed up as themselves, mistakes and all, and went through sort of what it would be. And so to me, that's like, I don't know, that feels really impressive that a university president would be willing to show up in that way.
3: I agree. And I like how you brought in practice. And I just want to circle back to my original comment about recognizing yes and. I think paradox exists universally. I do not know, and I don't wanna make a generalization of humanity, but when we talked about Doctor from Dr. Shaw that we do as humans have a tendency to simplify, I don't, I can't, I say that paradox exists, but then it's an intentional practice to understanding and recognizing it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, it's something, and from my experience from talking to leaders, paradox is not something that we could just easily integrate in our lives based on, on recognizing. And I think, um, back to that point, um, and also in my brand new favorite book that I'm reading, Dancing with (laughs) Discomfort, it's about (laughs) noticing and naming first, right? Like even, um, I think that just is like the fundamental thing. And then, and then we move to mindset and practice. I agree Mm -hmm. with you that, it's not an either or of mindset or practice. It's another yes. And yeah. And I liked particularly back with Mamie when she talked about practice in low stakes environment to then implementing that and performing mm. in a high stakes environment. She That's was right. talking more about classroom teachers, whereas I don't think, you know, for Mamie in her position, <laughs> she's showing up in a high stakes environment all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And being yeah. vulnerable. And I love that. Um, And, yeah. and, I think what's really interesting is it's caught in the small moments of mindset um, practice and mm-hmm. values uh, even in any of these, and I just threw values in like, no, no big deal, but um, it's not a big deal because all of these leaders had this interaction between their values, their learning mindset and their, um, their practice. And yeah. one of the other things I thought that was interesting, speaking of that is related to mindset was that every single one of them had this unique paradoxical view of understanding what their past getting and having this future oriented mindset mm-hmm. while also being ingrained to the present. And yeah. Mamie spoke about that. Another pe- a couple of people that had spoken about that, or uh, our leaders, our guests was Jenny and Christine. So Jenny Gaither and Christine yeah. Dare Cole, where they started with that mindset, which translated into practice. Jenny talked about, you know, what would future Jenny, you know, I was laughing. I'm, I'm like closing my eyes and thinking about her sitting next to me. What yeah. would the future Jenny want to, to, to embody, mm-hmm. um, how she would show up as her best self. And she talked about, um, manifesting those actions through thought and belief. Christine, Dare Cole talked about the process of starting, where am I? Yes. And that small, action plan of I am, I can, I will I do uh, so yes. when you talked about the translation between mindset and action, I see that happening all the time and maybe grounded in that intense self-awareness um I yeah don't know, I, 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 I know love, those two resonate with you a lot.
2: yeah, I love that and I could um riff off that a little bit because what I was thinking about was um Christine Der Cole's interview and and she says this if you've ever, you know trained alongside of her in Peloton she talks a lot about how um you know there's a lot of metrics on your screen in Peloton you can you know you can make them disappear or you can look at them and and she reminds us that you know the numbers do not own us and they do not know us right and and she's asked a couple of times and i feel like she alluded to it in the podcast this idea of why do we measure our worth by the size of a pair of pants we either can or cannot fit into right and so to me that to me that metaphor is the collision of our attempt to see the binary <laughs> wrestle with the paradox and not overcome it but integrate it right so it's it is noticing it's like i'm really doing that and i actually posted something on instagram um, several weeks ago about a mirror and I had walked by a mirror that was like you know one of those like fun house mirrors where like there were four different images and I noticed when I walked by the one that made me look you know I thought I looked slimming in the jeans I had on I was happier like immediately Danielle it was like instant change from like the one that made me look a little bigger to the one that made me look and I'm like I thought to myself why why does an image reflecting back to me in clearly mirrors that are not well, whatever a mirror is, right? It's this. It's just one reflection. Why is that owning my feelings right now and my own, how I'm feeling about myself? So that's a long story to say. I think that part of the practice, again, goes back to self-reflection, self-awareness, noticing. And Christine really talks a lot, and this is what her other work is around, is the self-talk. Mm-hmm. And she reminds us that we, we are our toughest critics. Nobody else. We are our toughest critics. And we hear this time and time again. I think I've heard Brene Brown say it. I've heard Christine Der say it. I think Jenny said it is how would you talk to yourself if you were a friend? Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh my God, I would never say that to a friend. Never, never. Mm -hmm. So it just, yeah.
3: You're right. I think it does from what every all of our leaders mm. have talked about, it does start with self. And I like mm. how you talked about self-awareness, self-worth, manifesting, actualizing through your thoughts, your beliefs about yourself, what is your best, what is your best self, or who are you in your best self? Yeah. And knowing that also, even though you're manifesting your best self, you're recognizing that you're enough. So there's another paradox in that well, too, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um and I think also too, so it starts with the self and then we think about how we translate it. And mm-hmm. I want to return to ICO. And the question that I asked her related to her DEIB work in organizations. And I had, she had talked about leaders being in all of organizations being um, steadfastly committed to brave conversations mm. and uncomfortable conversations. And I had asked about doing the work on your own because which also I think is important for leaders, right? And she said, well, if you're not having those conversations and you're not showing up with other people, then, you know, where, where's the progress and the growth that you're making. And Mm -hmm. that then draws to this work also being relational. Yes. And so I, I, you know, I, I wanted Mm -hmm. to kind of bring that conversation to the forefront. You did mention Mimi in practice and how that's translating to, to her culture and her community, but. I, w- I want to also recognize the other work that Lisa and Jessica and and Kenita Williams are doing yes. with how they're then translating it. And what did you notice? What were some of those things that you noticed from their conversations about how they're translating from the self to their organizations?
2: Yes. I love, I love that. And I, I'm so happy that you brought up um, Ico Bathia's comments around you can't do this work alone. That it's relational. That this idea that when I mean we continue to see witness these racial injustices, and many people sort of and we saw it in the news, flock to the bookstores to pick up, you know, books by uh, people of color, authors of color, researchers of color, and it's it's great. And you need to do more with people, right? And so I, I actually wrote that down as well. And I think what I love, Danielle, is that you're reminding us that it starts with self. We have to start that work with self and we have to integrate and engage, right? So that to me, that's, that's a paradox sort of too, right? It's like focus on the self, focus on others, right? It's like self and community. We had talked about that before, right? So, so it's the, it's going back to the article, right? Which is um, the acceptance of who we are, the differentiation of our values and then the integration, right? Mm-hmm. And So I feel like the differentiation and the integration probably has to happen collectively, right? Mm-hmm. To really see that. And so when I was, when we were talking to Lisa and Kanita and Jessica, oh my gosh, so much like popped up for me. I mean, Lisa talked so much about the work, the hard work she and her team do together. I mean, I made note of things like, you know, they would have team meetings and really during the pandemic had to really interrogate the way in which they do the work because they had been. know going out to the schools being able to to do things virtually and recognizing that many of the clients or the schools with whom they work didn't have internet access so how do we figure that out and so you know lisa even talked in her definition of leadership about identifying the unique gifts and talent talents of each individual and helping them reach their potential well that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. in a vacuum that has to happen collectively The other thing that Lisa said, Danielle, that is like still stuck in my brain that I continue to process is she talked so much and with so much detail and care about how she, as a representative of a huge corporation like Disney, is able to successfully work with the tiniest and smallest and localist of schools in a low SES, you know, maybe high minority population, right? And what she said is, look, we offer up these Broadway, these stories. It could be Broadway. It could be a movie. It could be a book, whatever. We offer up these stories. These, this is what we have to bring to the table. And then my team, she said, our team encourages and supports the local community to turn it into their own.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: to bring their voice to this thing. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. It's going to sound different. The interpretations could be different. And she said she really thinks that's where a lot of their success lies, that they've let go of it has to be A, then B, then C. It could be that we don't even do A, B, and C. We go right to X, Y, and Z, right? And I just I felt like if we could just take that nugget <laughs> and apply it in all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was really powerful for me, Danielle, that that conversation.
3: I like that you brought that up because that made me think then, okay. So if we have leaders that are operationalizing or or working within a paradoxical space, mm-hmm. we connect back to the definition of paradox as we've evolved it. Thank you to Iko Bathia. Mm-hmm. is okay understanding the multiple narratives as both true, the way that we then take that a step further instead of into an action plan, per the example of Lisa Mitchell, is then transferring ownership to that other person or other group of people, because we acknowledge that their narrative and and their perspective is also an equal and true playing field. And as you were talking, I saw a lot of connections between Lisa Mitchell and Kenita Williams, Dr. Williams and Dr. Lisa Mitchell, where then transferring that ownership, you need to be willing to ask and receive the hard questions, Mm -hmm. right? It can't just be a space that is fluff questions, right? I don't want to say fluff, but you know, it, it has to be hard. It has to be grounded. Mm -hmm. and then making the space for others to then come forward with solutions or for them to ask the hard questions. Um, And the one thing this morning, I was getting ready um, to start the workday. And I was thinking about how small actions that I had started to take based on our conversations. And the one small piece that I took that I noticed I started to do with individual and group relationships was, okay, in the beginning of this, of this, 10-part series, I started to use the language of yes and a lot, right, Mm -hmm. in my responses to others. And I sort of transformed that from a response of a yes (laughs) and to a question of a yes and. So I would say, yes, I acknowledge and I wonder Mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z or yes and and how does that show up for you or when does that show up for you or why does that show up for you? And so it wasn't just an acknowledgement of a yes and by integrating multiple narratives. But it was an integration of a of a question and a curiosity and a learning mindset. And so that was just something that I noticed a very small shift in my thinking and action plan yeah. based simply on, not even simply, on Lisa Mitchell and Kenita Williams and how they show up with their teams.
2: Yes. So absolutely. Um, I love that. Yeah, I yeah. think that's those are such great points. And the piece that I glommed onto with Dr. Williams or Kenita Williams. It's so funny because we I, we know these people outside of their yeah. professional. That's why we keep going between doctor and, and first names. Um, so we have the utmost respect for all of these women who came on. So if we call you by your first name, it's not, it has nothing to do with respect. So I'll just say that. Um, the piece that really got me, Danielle, in in Kanita's interview, was she talked about um that leadership um won't always have all the answers, right? There's the learner mindset. And she also said. The leaders don't need to have all the answers. And this connects back to Lisa, which is the leader is identifying the gifts and talents of individuals and helping them to get to their potential. So if you put those together, it totally makes sense. And that sort of, I feel like we, we laugh about this, but like some of the best leaders I have seen are the individuals who recognize their own strengths and their own, own areas of learning And then put those people around them who do those other things way better than they do, Mm -hmm. and that I feel like is what Lisa and Kanita are talking about, right? Right. That that's that's how you do that. And then the great thing is, I learn a little bit, you learn a little bit, we get better together, we get stronger, we you know we hit into things. And I just I just loved that. And I think, you know, you mentioned a personal growth point for you. The thing I have um, paid attention to is it is also for me language. And I know you and I have had side conversations about how, and I think again, uh, I I'm so grateful has really, she really had a big impact on me. So I think mm-hmm. the, the two things I can think of off the top of my head that I've, I've found have changed in me is one. Um, and I just did this in an interview I did with a podcaster a, a week ago. I'm much, um, I'm much slower with my responses. And I'm much more careful about my words. Like I, and that's really interesting because I always, for so long, I felt like I got to answer. I got to have an answer. I got to have the right answer. And now I'm like a little bit, I mean, I still mess up, but I notice I'm slower to respond to give myself processing time. So that's one thing I've I've paid attention to. The other thing is similar to what you said, because you said you you followed up with a question, like I, uh, an I wonder question. I have started saying a lot. and I think it's partly because of the coaching that I do. I often say I'm noticing. Mm -hmm. So that noticing is just, it's on me. Like I'm letting the other people know that this is how I'm taking in this conversation, this experience. And I think I have found that it invites people to either say, yep, I'm also sensing that or they'll be like, I hear you and I want to amend it, right? Like, I don't think that's what I meant. That you're noticing that way that's interesting because i actually meant it this way so i feel like words like i'm curious i'm wondering i'm noticing i'm sensing they're just they're more inviting in a conversation Mm -hmm. they like really diffuse the the original meaning of the word paradox right that conflict and so i've definitely adopted that's definitely in my regular like words now in terms of how I, you know, communicate with others. I don't know. It's been cool.
3: I like that. And it reminded me, I've been seeing a lot of similarities between our work in paradox. And then my second favorite book, well, you know, my second favorite book of, of the fall I had, I'm reading Dancing with Discomfort and I'm also reading Atlas of the Heart. Oh, by come Renee on. Brown. I
2: cannot be your first favorite <laughs> book over <laughs> Renee Brown.
3: <laughs> I'm loving both of them. And the reason why I'm loving both of them and our work in Paradox yeah. is because I'm seeing a lot of similarities in translation mm. and yeah. making a lot of connections with them. Mm. And she says something like, language doesn't just name emotions, it shapes emotions.
2: Mm. And what I liked
3: about that and in, in our relations to Paradox is We're shifting from a yes and to yes and I wonder and yes and I notice. And then how that is creating this emotional, shaping that emotional experience to how people feel when they're coming to a relationship or to a community. You can, I know you do a lot of work with belonging and you were curious about paradox and belonging. Mm -hmm. Well, what are those emotions then that are responding or being What are those emotions that we're feeling when we belong or we don't belong? And our language then is something that is going to shape those experiences for those people that we're showing up for. And even for ourselves, if I have a very difficult time managing, one of the things, the challenges that I've been going through a lot, and I won't get into it, I'm not ready to talk about it yet, Yeah. Um, but I will probably in the spring is... Mm -hmm. I, I had this idea of growth in my mind and growth to me was movement and in the fall. And I'd actually talked about this last time on tell me this in the last fall, but was um, growth to me now is pausing. And so I'm trying mm-hmm. to navigate this paradox of pausing and growing at the same time, because I had to, for the sake of my body. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because I'm seeing this paradox. I'm trying to accept them, differentiate them and integrate them both. And then there's this language that I'm trying to tell myself Mm -hmm. in order to then shape the emotions that I'm feeling around it. So Mm. instead of an emotion of shame or an emotion of of stress or discomfort, I'm trying to integrate this paradox to then make myself feel, maybe not shape, make myself feel okay, but then to to shape or train the emotions that I feel around it to to come to the, the experience or then to I don't know. I I'm trying to. I lost my train of thought there. But basically, to shape these emotions that I have, so yeah. I mean, that, that was makes... the one area that I had, and I'm just externalizing that for the first time now. So if no one understands it other than us, and maybe okay. Jenny Gathler when she listens to this, it's great. all good.
2: Yeah, but People, I mean, don't know. I think I think our listeners. I think we know our listeners well enough now that they'll they'll understand it. I mean, this idea that, um, and uh, next week the 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 last episode you'll hear, uh, Brianne and I did a sort of End of the fall semester, friendship kind of podcast, and we yeah. we highlighted a, a an episode that Brene Brown did on um, friendship and how you have to be mm-hmm. deliberate and and what we talked about partly and what I'm getting to with yours is that you know hard work is what is valued, mm-hmm. right? And and the other thing that's valued is not only hard work but like if something comes easily to someone we also value that. And as soon as we hit a bump in the road, we think we're not good enough for that Mm -hmm. thing. So I think in the same way, learning to not, you know, find pride in just being busy, right. Finding pride in taking time for yourself and taking that pause and, and seeing rest as, I mean, the, if you read the literature, like I don't want to geek out, I'm not going to cite a bunch of authors, but if you read the literature, the, the people doing research around rest and pausing, call rest, another form of work.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: They call it effort. And they actually say it's very hard work because it takes discipline and intentionality and routine and focus. And so, you know, I completely hear what you're saying around the power of language. And I just wrote down language and emotions because you're right. Because when I think about like the work I do around belonging, Part of the having conversations and sharing stories and shifting language is about setting the emotional tone. Because I know when I re-meet with, gosh, when I meet with any group of people, whether it's I just did a team coaching session last week with a, with a new organization and I've done it with, with students, everybody shows up like, or most people, not everybody, most people show up nervous and anxious and worried and they don't know if they want to talk. They don't know what people are going to think. And as soon as you start telling stories and sharing and being curious and wondering, I don't know, Danielle, it feels like it's just like everybody's shoulders drop a little bit. They lean back in their chair a little bit. So the way that you come at at these conversations is huge. I mean, look, you you have a significant other. I have a significant other. And the other thing I've noticed in those kinds of relationships is I pay way more attention to how I approach my significant other, especially when we're in the middle of an argument. Mm-hmm. I say, I can hear my hear myself in my brain saying, you could say it that way with all the anger that you're feeling and you can predict how she's going to respond and it's not going to be good.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Or you can take a moment and reframe it. I don't always do it. Look, I'm not, <laughs> I have bad moments. But, but in those moments I say, well, I could, Rephrase it as a question, or that I'm noticing, or that this is how I'm feeling, and it doesn't resolve the the moment like you know in a snap. But the tone, the emotion that shows up for both of us in that swirl of mess, it's way different and way more manageable than what could have happened if I had said the other dumb thing I was going to say. Right?
3: Yeah, I love that way that you said that, and that reminded me how language is pragmatics. It's What we say, it's how we say it, it's when we say it and to whom we say it. And I think, you know, in wrestling with language and paradox, language can reinforce our natural fearful inclination of ambiguity. Mm. Or, and I'm going to say either or here, if we are embracing paradox, language can embrace perhaps the opportunity of ambiguity. Yeah. And I think that if, if we're looking at language and how it fits into paradox, it's it connects our beliefs, our mindsets, our behaviors and our actions yeah. and our relationships. So Yeah,
2: definitely. I mean, when you said that, what I was thinking, and this may sound weird to some people, but I think language can also, if we're really paying attention, I think language can also bring clarity to ambiguity.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: because it, it harkens me back to Mark Brackett's work, work around emotional intelligence. And he starts out the book and I heard him interviewed a couple of times. He often says that when I ask people the first time about their emotions, it's like happy, sad, mad, you know, glad or something, you know, it's like very rudimentary for something that is wholly ambiguous and confusing. And he said, part of emotional inte- intelligence is what we're talking about, putting language to the nuance or the slivers, I'm kind of seeing slivers of different kinds of emotions. That's not really happiness, that's that's joy, mm-hmm. or that's excitement, or you know, just being able to discern, you know, in emotion. So imagine when we do that in our day-to-day life of uncertainty. Like if you say to me specifically, what is it in that uncertainty that is bothering you and that it is bothering you? That's a way more interesting conversation than you just being mad because you can't figure out anything. Yep. Right. Like, I don't understand. I don't even know how to enter that. I have to ask you like, you know, 10 questions to get to it. So, anyway, I love, I love what you're saying. So, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just got excited when you said that. So,
3: <laughs> I love that you brought Mark Brackett in in those examples. And so then it just, I have now this other <laughs> thought where that language in itself is a paradox, right? If you're mm-hmm. using language, and you're bracing it and you're honoring the power of language, you're seeing that language can provide clarity and you're also embracing how complex it is mm. to name your human experience. So, yes. you know, I think that just something is, is something I'm actually going to journal about tonight mm. and probably text you. I won't yeah. like text you in the middle of the night, but so it'll good. be like tomorrow being like at 2.33 a.m. I was talking about the paradox of language. Yeah. And then you'll be like, did you get any sleep? And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> but it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Um, it's
2: funny that we're having this conversation because I've been thinking, I've been doing a lot of coaching. I'm still, I'm certified, but need to get my hours to get the, the International Coaching Federation certification. And now that we're having this conversation out loud, what I notice about coaching is oftentimes the questions that I'm asking clients and students, it really is trying to help people clarify what they mean -hmm. Right. Because someone will say, I just hope when I graduate, I want to be successful. So, what's the first thing we want to ask? Well, what does success look like for you? Because, like, for Danielle versus Carrie Miller versus Lisa Mitchell versus Jessica Anastasio, it all looks different. Right. So, like, Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't have that. I can't finish that conversation until I really understand what you mean by success. And that's one word, right? That's one word that means a gazillion different things to different people. And I feel like Jessica, we haven't talked a lot about her episode, but Jessica, to me, in the example she shared in this episode, because last year she came on and talked about her teaching and parenting experiences, I almost feel like in a lot of ways, Danielle, Jessica really sits, I don't know if it's a tightrope or if it's at the corner, the intersection, I don't know what the metaphor is, but like she really sits on that like practice research edge, right? Because she is, she is, um working with students, sorry, working with athletes, right. Mm -hmm. Who are really trying to excel in this thing. And she's also doing a lot of noticing and paying attention and really putting into practice these ideas between kindness and rigor and, and, and pushing yourself and taking care of yourself. So, um, I told you, you know, there was a risk that we would go on and on and on. And in fact, we have gone on and on and on. So I'm going to give you in the spirit of our series, I'm going to give you the last word. Is there anything you want to share with our audience before we we wrap?
3: Well, when we started this, we thought about Paradox playlists, and then we went, we thought about play, play, playlists to playbook. Yeah. So I'm going to offer one playbook mm-hmm. item that I'm going to try and intentionally mm. put forth in 2022. I'm curious nice. to see what you're going to say. Yeah. And for me, I think I'm going to continue to understand and externalize how paradox shows up in my language, Mm -hmm. my relationships. I have been so spiritually internal and particularly in the fall, I've been texting people saying I just savoring my own self right now. And as I move forward into 2022, with some more energy and clarity on this. My goal and my playbook is to externalize that a little bit more with my language and my questions and my mm. how I translate my learner's mindset into practice. So that's love my that. playbook. What's I yours? love that.
2: Mm. I think mine, if I had to name one, because I feel like there's so many I could do. I think mine is around what we started with uh, when we talked about Christine Darekolt and numbers and measurement and evaluation. And and I think for me, what I'm trying to do more of is every time I have a reaction to some outcome related to myself in particular, I'm interrogating why I feel happy, anxious, worried, mad, and really checking myself to like, is that really the data point that you wanna hang your hat on? That's what I keep mm-hmm. asking myself. Um, Cause I am pretty good. Actually, I would say I'm very good at managing that with my students and having mm-hmm. conversations with them. I suck at it with myself. And so I think 2022 is going to be me asking myself when I have a reaction to those kinds of outcome measures, what's that about for you, right? Is that really, yeah. the, is that, is that the truth of it or what is, what is that? That's, that's bringing that up for you. So, so that's, that's what I'm, you know, cause we need those measures as measures to sort of check in, but what's the role of those measures, right? We also, so figuring out that sort of balance.
3: Well, we're just bringing in some like mixed methods research on our own. I know. Right. We sure have so much data,
2: (laughs) so much more to do. And I just want to end Danielle with two things. One, a huge, huge, huge virtual hug, much gratitude for the work we've done together this fall. It's like, I could go on and on and on, but you know how I feel um, about you and this work. And it's been, it's been like more than I could ever imagine. So, so fun. The other thing I will say is for our listeners don't worry, we're not going anywhere because Mm -hmm. after this winter break, we are coming back in probably late January to kick off. I don't know what we're going to call it, Danielle, but I feel like it's almost like book club live um, is what it's going to be. So we're in the process of picking a couple of books, a couple of different groups of awesome people to have a series of podcasts about those books. So more to come on that. We'll give you the book list. So if you want to read along, that would be awesome. So again, Danielle, much gratitude for all the work you've done with us with this work this fall.
3: Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I can't talk about language. I can't even <laughs> conceptualize my language, how grateful I am for you for, over the past number of years. I mean, mm-hmm. pinch me again and again that we were able to connect <laughs> in such a way. Like we are just soul sisters in this journey. Yes, so absolutely. thank you.
2: Yeah. Um, and I said, that was the only two things. The other thing I'm going to say is just <clears throat> from Danielle and myself, a huge thank you to every single guest that came on this fall during their busy schedules, their crazy lives. And we just learned from you in that moment and continue to take your nuggets everywhere we go and and share it with as many people who will listen. So thanks to everybody who participated, who listened, who supported, and I hope you have a great break and do like Danielle and take a pause. You deserve it. All right. This has been another episode of Tell Me This. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Slow down
1: gravity, you're so sincere Under the glaciers of your last year So. Sun-